Good morning. Um, please pray with me. Um, this is a prayer attributed to St. Francis, and actually um, it's a prayer that our brothers and sisters and friends in Guatemala are praying right now as they're having their service at the same time. Señor, hazme un instrumento de tu paz. Donde haya odio, siempre o amor. Donde haya herida, perdón. Donde haya diferencia, armonía. Donde haya duda, fe. Donde haya desesperación, esperanza. Donde haya oscuridad, luz. Donde haya tristeza, alegría. Lord, make us instruments in your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Marissa, or Marisa Aguilera Saints, and I serve here um, at All Souls as an elder. And guess what? I have never done this before. <laughs> so, um, you're in for a treat. We're all going to bond together this morning over a shared new experience. And um, it's happening. So, here we go. All right. So, um, as it turns out, putting together a sermon is um, not the easiest thing I've ever done. And what's, what's been really neat about the process is I learned about what goes on behind the scenes to, to make this happen on Sunday mornings for us. So... Um, we do these things called Tuesday morning conversations, and any of you are invited to join us for that. It's from eight, what time do we mean? 8.30 to 10, um, Tuesday mornings. And the community comes together to talk through um, the scripture, to read the passages and reflect on it. Like, what resonated with you? What troubled you or do you disagree with or, you know, have issue with? Um, what, are you, what are you hearing in this? Um, and what's, what was amazing about this, to me is it means that these messages on Sunday morning are um, informed and inspired by the life of this community. There's a collective spirit to it. Um, so I, I went for the first time <laughs> to Tuesday morning conversation. I was there. And um, I just want to share with you some of my own reflections and some of what I heard from others. So friends, what does God expect from you? That's a loaded question, right? Um, it's the first question we hear this morning in that Old Testament passage, and it's loaded because many of us show up this morning um, with these inherited stories, with some spiritual baggage, maybe. Um, we have inherited explanations about who God is and who we are supposed to be, um, about who is chosen and who is not. Inherited stories of guilt and shame, or of not being enough, or of pursuing unattainable perfection. Does this inherited spirituality inhibit you from exploring, understanding, and living into the consciousness that you desire? What do we do with all of this? How do we hear in a new way this morning? Well, I've been wrestling with these passages this week, and here's what emerged. We are clearly called to engage in the brokenness of this world with tender hearts. Let me say that again. We're called to engage in the brokenness of this world with tender hearts. 
I want to hone in with a more narrow focus and explore this calling through the lens of immigration. Because, first of all, these passages and many others in the Bible directly call us to welcome the stranger, care for the foreigner, um, and the immigrant. And also, I've been doing some work in the area of immigration. I serve as the Denver Regional Immigration Organizer for um, the Office of Social Justice with the Christian Reformed Church. And, personally, I am the daughter of a Cuban immigrant, and I'm the granddaughter on my dad's side of a Jewish man who fled Czechoslovakia because of the Holocaust. I know and journey together with this community. Um, I know that we, we do genuinely feel tenderly hearted towards the brokenness of this world. But I also know that we often feel stuck and we feel worn out and we feel numb and we're just really unsure a lot of the times of how to actually live and do these things in our lives. So why, why does God call us to care? Well, there's a message in here of wholeness and of interconnectedness. Many of you know that I have a love of African cultures. I've lived and worked and still partner with people from the continent for over 12 years. And there's an African philosophy called Ubuntu, which says, I am because we are. We exist in connection to others. We are all created in the image of God. We are called to honor and respect the dignity and humanity of each other. And we love the stranger for the purpose of giving and receiving and to be co-creators with God for the restoration, beauty, and wholeness in this world. But, that sounds lovely, right? Um, life and human constructs of our reality seep into these beautiful promises, right? Politics, family dynamics, history, our own personal insecurities and stuff and just our downright humanness. So as we hear in the passage this morning, we're called to serve God with everything we have. We need more people. We need more people responding to these challenges, being willing to dive in with imagination, creativity, intellect, from a place of love and understanding and not fear. So how do we actually do this? That's kind of what I want to dive into this morning. How do we really engage faithfully with curiosity and love and tender hearts in such a complex and divisive issue as immigration? Let's look at the first way. Our first practice is to practice. And if that sounds too cliche, (laughs) um, that's what you get for having a rookie this morning. So, um, we practice. We're um, we don't just do this Sunday morning, right? This isn't a religion. It's not a label. It's a way of being, and it's a way of life. Of course, as humans, we've shaped it into a religion, and we've put labels on it. And we do, like, don't get me wrong. We do need to take responsibility for the fact that we participate in those constructs. But that's not the spirit of what Christ or what Jesus is teaching. So if God is interested in our transformation and in coming into our fullness of being, uh, it's a process and it takes practice over time. 
Uh, we practice these teachings until they're so infused in us that we just live them. Like not for reward, but towards wholeness and healing. Have you ever had someone in your life, like a friend maybe, or family member, or partner, or maybe your child, thank you? Like, um, like I'm talking about a thank you for doing something for them, or thank you for being there with them during a hard time, or thank you for being someone important in their life. It is such a gift to receive words of affirmation and connection like that. It's a good feeling, and also in my experience, I think sometimes when we receive those words, um, sometimes we respond with things like, well, of course. I mean, don't, don't worry about it. You don't need to thank me. I didn't really do anything. Like, I love you. You love me. We're just living life together. And you do so much for me. Um, so what I found surprising in the New Testament passage this morning was that um, when Jesus is talking, instead of the response to him from the tenderhearted, from the blessed people, um, instead of responding wearing like a badge of honor and pride and feeling really accomplished, they actually responded with a question and they sounded really kind of dumbfounded and oblivious. They responded to Jesus with a peculiar question saying, what did you mean? When, when did we do that for you? When did we feed you? Clothe you? Welcome you? Like, visit you? I, you don't really need to thank us. We didn't do anything. Um, so this, is, this story is part of a parable, and it's an allegory. This we see uh, in the Bible, and it's not meant to be interpreted literally. These are teachings. Jesus was Jewish. He practiced the Jewish faith. He challenged the Jew Jewish faith. Um, he was a master teacher, and he understood how to teach lessons with multiple levels of meaning. So he would usually start small and direct, moving into a larger and more expansive universal message. And we see that in this passage. It's true here, too. Um, so how do we practice becoming people, like we see here, who are so infused and integrated with the love of God, with Christ in us, that we see and feel and act in response to others as part of who we are. So much so that we don't even know we're doing it. It just becomes second nature. Well, the Old Testament passage mentions calluses. And it says, cut away the thick calluses from your heart, Stop being so willfully hard-headed. Well, what are calluses? They're um, this smart response from our body. A callus is hard and tough, and it protects us from injury and suffering after a repeated like, assault on our body in a spot. So this callus, unfortunately, also prevents us from feeling, and it makes us kind of numb in that area. So like this verse in another book of the Bible in Ezekiel, we hear God say, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is a repeated call from God to guard against the hardness of heart that naturally builds up in the face of suffering and brokenness. But 
what's underneath those calluses? What's underneath this hardness that we naturally just build up when we're faced with so much brokenness? If we remove that tough spot, underneath there's tender, raw skin. Underneath our hearts, heart, our hard hearts, God's job, as it seems, is to repeatedly invite us into the uncomfortable in order to encounter vulnerable tenderness of life. What calluses are built up in you? What's preventing you right now from feeling? God's inviting us into this practice of examining and removing our calluses. If calluses, on the other hand, if calluses are this smart response from our bodies, some of you are probably feeling frustrated right now because you've tried this and it's not sustainable to be open and raw all the time. Calluses do serve a purpose after all. So let's lean into that and um, let's look at this role of practicing tenderheartedness through community. So we, you know, we're talking about practicing here in our daily lives. So practicing through community. Maybe you've burned out like I have. Maybe you've battled with the depths of depression like I have. Maybe you have your own valid story. Well, hear these words from a song that's become somewhat of an anthem of mine lately. Thank you, Keely. It's not here. Um, this song is called Resilient, and it's by Rising Appalachia. And in it, the two sisters, singer-songwriters, they say, so what are we doing here? What's been done? What are you going to do about it when the world comes undone? My voice feels tiny, and I'm sure so does yours. Put us all together, and we'll make a mighty roar. We definitely started this morning with that song, along with Katy Perry's Roar. We'll dance party. And <laughs> I'm telling you, if you, like, anything, if you just listen to those two songs on repeat for months, I think you're good on all this stuff. <laughs> it will inspire you to do things. Um, so, but the message here is that we are not alone. We may be small, but together we have large impact. This is where um, I want to point out in this, these passages, there's this inadequacy of the English language or of our Western interpretation of stories in the Bible sometimes, and it's that we approach it with this individual perspective. We don't have a plural form of you in the English language. Um, so in both passages here, though, both the Old Testament and New Testament, when we see that, God is talking to communities of people. He's talking in the plural. Listen again and see if you hear it. So now, Israel, what do you think God expects from y'all? Come, y'all who are blessed, inherit the kingdom prepared for y'all. Did you hear it? <laughs> um, I do not say that word usually, so <laughs> sorry if I butchered it. That was not my thing. Um, the cool part about this community perspective is that um, I think responding in community is our superpower. It is what makes all of this sustainable. I cannot carry the burdens of the world on my shoulders alone. Trust me, I've tried several times, and it's toxic and it nearly undid me. But I can figure out who I am, what I have to offer, and I can do my part, and so can you. And then together we can be part of something larger than ourselves. All of this 
together allows for space. It makes space for some to lead, others to support. It makes space for some to step back when they need some self-care and feel worn out, and for others to take a step forward, and on and on. There's space for everyone, really. There's one more practice of tenderheartedness that we see in scripture today. And it's a practice of remembering. We have been willfully hard-hearted, God tells us. In response to that, he says, remember. Remember our past, where we came from, what our people have gone through, or what our people have done to others. What is your immigration story? Do you know it? If not, why not? There's a story there. Is the story you've inherited complete? Whose perspective is it from? Has it shaped who you are and your understanding of our country, of other immigrants, and of the institution of Christianity? We're invited to remember because, as one of my mentors teaches, if you don't change where you're going, you're going to end up where you're going. So again, so simple. If you don't change where you're going, you're going to end up where you're going. So what happens when we don't remember? If we don't know our history, we repeat it. We've heard that before, right? You see, we travel on these paths, and sometimes we forget we're on them. We're not paying attention to where we're going or to readjusting course, so we hard-heartedly stay on the same path of brokenness. We need to know and reckon with our histories. With the unpleasant and inconvenient parts, we can't just ignore and say, let's move on, we're better than that, or it's just not really who we are. If we don't know our history, we repeat it. So personally, I've been just really deeply disturbed uh, by hearing the news and the reality being faced by people um, seeking asylum in this country at our southern border. You've heard it too. Um, our country is warehousing people, separating families, putting children in cages, using hardship, cruelty, fear, and these dehumanizing tactics to scare people away. And I don't want to simplify the issue. It's complex and there's so many layers to this, but not only does this dehumanize the individuals seeking safety and opportunity, but it also dehumanizes those that are, um, are directed to impose these policies. So it, it also dehumanizes the people that have to listen to the cries of babies and young children taken from their mothers. To the people that have to hold or discover the lifeless body of yet another child dead in custody in the care of our government. You must treat foreigners with the same loving care. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. These stories should trouble us. I don't know about you, but I find them shocking. Like, I, I read these things and I cry and I say, how are we doing this? Why has it come to this? 
Well, if we listen to God's call here, and if we follow the invitation to remember our past, remember where we've come from, our current situation, there's some light that's shed on it. It starts to become less shocking and a little more clear that we've continued on the same stubborn path of brokenness. Because you see, this actually isn't the first time that our country has strategically, systematically separated families out of fear and exploitation and greed. You've heard these parts of our history. The slave trade, dehumanized people, separated families to maintain power and exploit. Indian removal, the Trail of Tears, cruelly separated families, people treated less than human. Internment camps of Japanese Americans, Indian boarding schools, where the U.S. government allowed Christian missionary groups to seize Native American children from their homes, put them in boarding schools, strip them of their Native identity, all in the name of civilization, assimilation, and Christian ministry. I'm sorry to break it to you, um, but this is what we do in America. This is what we have done repeatedly. Honestly, putting it together this morning was, putting this together for this morning was difficult because I realized I was actually really concerned about bringing it up in this way. Um, about its perceived harshness and about um, just concerned about disrupting your peace on a Sunday morning. But are we living in God's commandments? Are we really doing it? I recently finished uh, listening to Austin Channing Brown read her book called I'm Still Here. And in it, she says this. She says, Our only chance at dismantling racial injustice is being more curious about its origins than we are worried about our comfort. It is not a comfortable conversation for any of us. It is risky and it is messy. And it is haunting work to recall the sins of our past. But is this not the work we have been called to? Is this not the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating truth and inspiring transformation? It's haunting, but it's also holy. So what do we do with such a heavy history? Friends, community, I think God tells us to face it and to remember it. So in closing, um, we're clearly called to respond to the brokenness of this world with tender hearts. And I get it that sometimes it feels like a lot. So um, I just want to connect you to a couple resources that I have um, for you with the work I do with immigration. Um, You can start small, like really small. This small. (laughs) Come take a sticker. This says, um, immigrants are a blessing, not a burden. It's, we need to change the conversation about who people are. Um, And let this be a reminder to you that this takes practice, it takes community, and it takes remembering. Um, If you're ready to dive in a little deeper or want to explore more, um, I'll be reading this book this summer and would love for you to join me and discuss with me. It's over on the table over here. um, Suggested donation of $5. If you don't have it, please take the book. 
Um, and there's some other resources as well. So um, if you're interested in learning more about advocacy and speaking truth to power and using the power you have as a citizen in the most powerful country in the world, um, please come talk to me because we have lots of um, ways for you to explore these things. Um, all right, so just to end here, I'd love for you to join me in this, uh, this call and response prayer. It's a litany uh, about immigrants being a blessing and not a burden. Why don't you all stand with me? Sure. <laughs> all right. Abraham and Sarah did not know whether their visitors meant harm or good. Still, they opened their tent in welcome, and they were blessed. From the stranger, we hear the good news of God's covenant love. We praise you for the blessing of the stranger. Boaz saw in Ruth not a project, but a partner. From the stranger, we are given the lineage of Christ. The man lay dying on the Jericho Road until the strange and reviled Samaritan came to his aid, sharing his oil and wine. From the stranger, we receive help and healing. When the people of Israel were strangers in, Europe, in Egypt, only as valuable as the bricks they produced for Pharaoh's economy, God heard their cry and saved them. When we are strangers, we come to know a God who frees us. Christ hides in the face of the stranger, reminding us that I was a stranger and you welcomed me. In the stranger, we can experience the presence of Christ. We are called in scripture again and again to welcome the stranger and the many blessings that the stranger may bring. For the immigrant, the refugee, and the one we do not know, we give our thanks and praise. Family, God is worshiping you in many languages and following you in many cultures all over the world. But the diversity of family of God has also come right here to this community. May we receive the blessings you bring to us, Lord, who of the strangers.